This week, we complete our series on fruit of the Spirit. Uh, the very last thing, self-control. I said um, uh, earlier this week, I thought, well, okay, well, what can I do to demonstrate self-control uh, during the sermon? I really didn't come up with anything very good, uh, so I, I don't know how I'm going to demonstrate self-control. That was a joke, sorry. Uh, a bad one. Um, I used up most of my jokes last week, and so um, I was talking to my wife the other day. I says, uh, I need some more jokes. You know, I, I keep telling my wife, I am a funny man. And she says, well, at least one of us thinks you are. And I, I said, hey, I'm batting 500. So who wouldn't take that in the major leagues, right? So anyway, um, this weekend is self-control, the last of the 10 sermons on the fruit of the Spirit. And so I want, I want you to think with me, if you would, please. Rack your brain. Have you ever known a person who always seems to make the right decisions, who chooses the right path, who never makes unhealthy decisions, who thinks through the consequences of decisions and exercises self-control in in all areas of their life. How many of you know a person like that? Let me see your hands. Come on. There's an amazing lack of hands. Okay. I see one in the back. Another one back there. Another one. Three. I can't see in the theater, but I dare say the percentages are about the same. Okay. Do any of you know two people like that? Oh, two hands went up. Okay. Are you guys in the TA team? Are you guys voting for each other back there? Okay, I thought so. Here's the thing. I suspected that would be the case. So here's what I ask you. What about the rest of us poor suckers? The normal people who don't make decisions that way and who aren't always self-controlled and who aren't always thinking through all the consequences, and periodically we do something that is just dumb. Is there no hope for us? Well, I mean, how do we muddle through? How do we believe this passage of Scripture that talks about the Holy Spirit giving us self-control? I mean, what's the secret? Do, do we just need to read more self-help books? I mean, there are thousands of them out there. Do we just need to every week read a new self-help book? Or, like me, maybe, like I consider, okay, how would I do that? Do I need to hire a personal spiritual coach? You know, the picture I have in my mind is like a Marine Corps drill instructor who every, every morning goes, Arledge, time to get up. Get in there, read your Bible. Now it's time to pray. Pray some more. You need more. Now, go eat. No, not that much. Don't eat that much. Now go exercise. Do, do I need to hire someone like that who, who goes around yelling at me all day? And then I can get through the day and look back and go, whoa, now I'm a super Christian. Is self-control only reserved for a few super Christians? And the rest of us, we're just out of luck. I think the Bible knows what it's talking about, or 
Let me say it more accurately. God knew what he was doing when he instructed the writers, in this case the Apostle Paul, to write about the Holy Spirit being able to grow these things in you and in me. Let's read this passage one more time. For the tenth time, let's read this passage. It's a very important passage. Just before it, the Apostle Paul said, the works of the flesh are these. And he lists a whole bunch of just horrid things, all right? Then he says, guided by the Holy Spirit, he says, but the fruit, the fruit that the Spirit will grow in you and in me is love. Pastor Charlie keeps telling us, fruit of the Spirit, singular, it's love, and these other eight things are manifestations or characteristics of how love is lived out. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That means against nobody can say against these things, those are bad things. Those are out of bounds. So these, everyone would agree, these are very good things. Now, some have suggested that maybe this list, now that we're getting to the end of the list, that this list is hierarchical. That is, it starts at the bottom at the easy things and moves on up to the difficult things, the progressively getting tougher and tougher. I don't think that's the way this list is constructed, but I do wonder this. If the Holy Spirit wasn't really intentional about putting self-control last, here's why. It's really hard, this self-control stuff. Now, maybe you have it down a lot better than I do, but self-control is one of the more challenging. And I also wonder if it's not last because it's key to all the others. Now, I'm not saying that God spoke to me in the night and said, Dwayne, this is why I did that. I'm just wondering if it maybe is that not the case because self-control could be the key to all of the others. And as we unpack it today, I think it'll help us understand that maybe that's the case. Now, I want to use the same basic outline as, as I did last weekend. Three questions that say about the, the fruit of the Spirit, about self-control. What is self-control? How do I get it? What will it cause me to do? I know there are inquiring minds out there that as we're going through this, we'll go, well, I want to know what crazy, kind of crazy things this might cause me to do before I sign on that I want it. So we're going to answer all of those questions, plus I'm throwing, throwing in a little bonus here between point one and two that you'll get in just a moment. So first question, what is self-control? On the surface, it would seem self-control is simply controlling self, Right? So a person who makes their own decisions, not influenced by other people, doesn't yield to the pressure of society, that person would have self-control. But what if that person makes their own decisions, not influenced by others, chooses to make the decisions to lie, cheat, steal, hate, condemn other people, take advantage of others... Uh, they're in control of their decisions, right? So, is that what the Bible means when it says that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control? Absolutely not. 
So there has to be something more beyond just making my own decisions. There has to, has to be something deeper than that in what the Scripture means when it says the Holy Spirit is going to grow in you if you are born again, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have salvation, if you have eternal life, that he, that Holy Spirit will grow in you this self-control thing. So, let, let's establish a few things before we get to our word nerd definition of the self-control. So, the Holy Spirit chooses only to bear fruit or grow uh, spiritual fruit in a person who is spirit-born. That is, someone who has repented and received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And Jesus promised when he went away that those who were his children, he would ask the Father and the Father would send the Holy Spirit to be with us and live in us. And so only those who are born of God, born of the Spirit, have the ability by God's design to bear spiritual fruit. So you see, I don't bear fruit. The Holy Spirit makes that fruit grow in me. And in order to have that fruit grow in me, I must remain under His control. Remember Pastor Charlie a few weeks ago speaking about remaining in Him. It's that picture. So I must remain under His control if I'm going to bear any fruit at all. So, any definition of self-control that is grown by the Holy Spirit has to include me remaining under control of the Holy Spirit. Are you tracking? So, this self-control thing is not all about self when it comes to the Holy Spirit bearing that kind of fruit in us. So, let me give you my straightforward simple definition of what self-control is according to Scripture. So self-control is when I choose to place all of self, all of myself, under the control of the Holy Spirit. Let me go through that one more time, please. So self-control is when I choose, that is, I do my part. God often chooses to not do His part, the part He promises, until we do what he asks us to do. And that's the case here, I believe. Self-control is when I choose to place all of self under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's his part. That's the part of the Holy Spirit to exercise control when I place myself under his control. So this may sound a bit contradictory, uh, but here's how I would describe it. Self-control is a Holy, Spirit ability, a Holy Spirit given ability for me to control self. Now, that may sound like double talk to you, but if you, if you begin to understand it all, the fact that I, you and I, as imperfect people, can come to Jesus Christ and say, I need forgiveness of my sins. Would you please forgive me? And would you come into my life, be my Lord be my Savior, be my forgiver, and be my one in charge, commander, boss, whatever word. And he comes in. He gives us forgiveness, eternal life. He adopts us into his family. And he transforms us spiritually 
But if you understand it all, that we still live in this world, we still choose to sin, but he loves us completely and deeply and absolutely, and he's forgiven us. If you understand that challenging thought, this shouldn't be a challenge at all. Because God is God, and if we could understand everything about God, he wouldn't be God. He would be like us. So, a Holy Spirit-given ability to control self, so the glory doesn't go to me. The glory goes to Him, to the Holy Spirit, to God the Son, God the Father. So let me add a point in here before I get to the second question I promised you. Uh, yesterday morning as I was rereading and just studying over, over the, the sermon, I went back to some of the notes that I'd written that I didn't use, some of the research that Pastor Charlie gave me when he made the decision several weeks back for me to go ahead and complete the Fruit of the Spirit series while he was in Africa, and he gave me his research. I was reading through those notes, information that I hadn't used, and suddenly I, it was compelling. Why is self-control so important? And so I want to read one passage for you. Call this point 1.5. If you're wherever you're taking notes, just add a few places in there. Write it if you're hard copy, write around the margins or whatever. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. I want to pick them apart a couple at a time. The Apostle Paul gives us an illustration. He moves to the arena of sports and he paints a picture. And then in a moment, he's going to make a very serious application of this word picture. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. That is, so you win the prize. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it. To receive a perishable wreath, a, a winner's wreath in that day was, was live greenery and flowers and stuff. Uh, but it would perish. It would dry up and die and turn brown. He said, but we do it to receive an imperishable one. So that is what we win when we win in the spiritual arena. Because he just made a transition here. We win what cannot die or be taken away. So every athlete sets out to win. Last night at the five o'clock service, a young man coming in the door, I was introduced to him. He's on the football team, Pueblo County High School. And so I had a couple of questions for him about the pigskin classic the night before. I wanted to determine if he went into that game planning to win or planning to lose. Because if, if you were at that game or you read the review of it in the Chieftain or wherever you read it, uh, you know that it, it was kind of a wipeout. Sorry to say for the county guys. But here's what he said. He said, we just didn't understand how good Pueblo West team was. He didn't say, oh, yeah. We went in that planning to lose. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't give any effort. We didn't work at it. No. They gave everything they had. They prepared. Uh, it, it happened just like he said. Those other guys scored more points. They played a better game on that day. And maybe they're actually just a better team. I don't know. I don't follow sports closely enough to evaluate that. But that was his evaluation yesterday. When we win... We pay a price. 
in sports, uh, in anything we do in life. Now, here's the great news. In most games, there are winners and there are losers. There can't be winners without losers. But in the spiritual life, in our walk with Jesus Christ, here is the design that's different. When the Apostle Paul makes that, that turn and transition, he speaks about us receiving an imperishable, it cannot be killed, it cannot die, crown, a, a wreath. And the difference is this. Every person who's born again can win. That's the difference. So the first thing, why is it in, why is self-control so important? This point 1.5. Why is it so important? The first reason is it's because the Holy Spirit, we need to understand that the Holy Spirit wants each person to win, and the Holy Spirit is prepared to cause each person to win. I just need to want God more than I want other things. Let's continue in the scripture here. Verse 26. So, the Apostle Paul says, he's going back to the sports analogy. I do not run aimlessly. I run with a purpose. I do not box. I do not train as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. And then he makes a hard turn again back from this, the athletic arena to the spiritual arena. And he says, lest after preaching to others... And here's the second reason it's so important. I myself should be disqualified. Now, I have some expensive hobbies. Hobbies are always expensive. You know, if you make money at a hobby, it's a business, not a hobby, right? So, I have a few of those. Uh, one of those, I compete periodically. A few months ago, two of my friends and I went up to Colorado Springs to compete in, in an event. And there were to be four stages to this event. It's an individual competition. You're against the clock. And then by that, you're against everyone else. You know, your time and your score and the quality of your effort. Okay? So, four stages in this competition. And I made it through stage one. It was one of the first competitions I had entered. Uh, paid my money and, you know, entered and made it through the first stage, got to the second stage. The guy hits the iPad, and it does a, a random scramble, and a name comes up. And the guy says, Roger Arledge. That's me, by the way. I'm Roger Dwayne. And so I step up thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, why can't I be way down in the pack? Uh, you know, because after a while, uh, it, it gets, it, you know, you just quit noticing so many people. But the first one on each new stage, everybody's watching more closely than later. Timed event, got in a hurry, got anxious. I committed a rule infraction that caused me to be disqualified. Now, I couldn't just jump in the car and sneak back to Pueblo. All three of us had gone in the same vehicle, so I either I had one I had two choices. I either stay or I start walking home. The point is this. For two hours and 15 minutes more, I sat on the sidelines. While my two friends and, and the other 20-something competitors in, in my squad all completed the other, that stage and the other two. I'm the guy 
sitting on the side who was DQ'd. Some of, the, some of the guys would come by. A few of them I knew. Others decided that they felt sorry for the poor sucker, and they would come by and uh, introduce themselves and say, hey, dude, it happens to all of us. Now, I was like, don't see anybody else it's happening to tonight. <laughs> I'm the only guy sitting on the sidelines like a schmuck who, you know, wasn't bright enough to figure out how to do this. Listen, that is nothing compared to if I'm disqualified in my spiritual life. If I let down my wife, my two boys, my grandchildren, all of the people that I serve and shepherd in this church, people I have known for decades who say, that guy's a Christian, that guy's a pastor. You know and I know people who have been disqualified from ministry, from spiritual life, and one of the things that gives me the most fear in my whole life is that I might be disqualified. I want to finish well, and I hope and I pray that you do. Why is self-control so important? Because we don't want to be disqualified. Point two, that was 1.5. Point two. How do I get it? How do I get self-control? Everybody needs it. In fact, as I studied Scripture, I discovered that the Bible talks about self-control even in the pre-Christian's life. And I'm saying pre-Christian because I'm talking about the person who is considering Jesus Christ who is being told about salvation by people like you and like me, and they're wondering if it works. Great example in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, while he was in prison, was called up to testify before a Roman-appointed governor named Felix. Felix knows about Christianity. You read it in the book of Acts in chapter 24, okay? But he knows all about the way, they call it, the way of Christianity. But he's not a believer in Jesus Christ. And verse 25 says this, and as he, Paul, reasoned about, look at these three things, righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. I'll bring you back out of prison and we'll talk some more. So, in this situation, here's, here's a man who is not a believer in Jesus Christ. He has not embraced Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And, he, and the Apostle Paul, guided by the Holy Spirit of God, says this. I'm going to tell you about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. See, when, when we're talking with a person who has not yet confessed Jesus Christ as Lord righteousness, I mean self-control is placed right between righteousness and the judgment that is to come. There will be a judgment. And for those who have not confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, we're not being mean. We're just being factual. We owe people the truth of God's Word. And so it's placed between there. These, these are not 
Holy Spirit-filled person terms. These are conversion terms that Paul is using. In other words, this man, Felix, needs to be converted from being a not a believer to being a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. So, what is needed for him to move from realizing he needs righteousness to missing the judgment to come is the Holy Spirit given self-control, making that choice as someone who has not received Christ as Lord and Savior, I'm going to move under the Lordship and control of God, of His Spirit. And so there is a self-control element even for the person who has not yet given their life to Jesus Christ. It's a different it's a different move. It's a different kind of thing that moves them from not Christian to Christian. Now, let's look at what it is for the person who has been born again as a Christian. Now, this, this person, you and I, most of us in this room, have confessed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit lives in us. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 speaks to this. Read with me. And it's kind of a long list of things that God wants to do in our lives. For this very reason, he says, make every effort to add to, to supplement your faith. And then he gives a list. Supplement your faith with virtue, your virtue with knowledge, your knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now, it's very possible this is a growing list that ends up with love at the top of the mountain, okay? But anyway, not going to deal with that right now. Look at this. Notice self-control comes between knowledge and perseverance. So here's, here's the picture. We have knowledge. We come to know God's will, largely, mostly through reading His Word. When we know His will, when we exercise self-control, that is, placing all of ourself under the control of God's Holy Spirit, that's how we come to the place of having the perseverance, the stick to the stay-with-it kind of nature to continue following God and let Him keep growing us up. So that's what it is. It's spiritual growth. It's maturity. So what will it cause me to do? The third question. Actually, kind of the fourth question, but remember we stuck 1.5 in there. So we'll still call it the third question. Do, do I really desire what will come as a result of self-control? What, what, what will it do to me? Do I want that? Here's what it Just two things. Very simple. Straightforward. It will cause me to become spiritually mature. See, P Paul wrote a letter to a pastor named Titus. The book we have in the New Testament is a letter to Titus, and it's called Titus. And the, the qualities that Paul looked for in a pastor should be in every believer. Now, here's the difference. So don't, don't, don't take this passage we're about to read and say, oh, a pastor is supposed to have that. I don't have to worry about it. No, listen closely. A pastor must have these qualities if he's going to be uh, installed into the office of pastor. But every believer should have these same qualities, these same characteristics. Let's read it. The, Paul says, for an overseer, and in the New Testament, overseer, bishop, pastor, elder are pretty much used interchangeably. So a pastor, 
as God's manager, that's what a steward is, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but, but he should be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must be a mature person, and every Christian should be that. That's what self-control will bring in our lives. When we place all of self under the control of the Holy Spirit, we will progressively become more mature. Now, let me be really, really, really clear. When I say become spiritually mature, that is not a point to arrive at. It is a long line that extends for all of our life. So it is a journey which we are on. It is not a place you arrive at until we arrive in heaven. You clear with that? So when we talk about being spiritually mature, we really should be saying progressively becoming more mature. Got that clear? So we didn't arrive. None of us can look at the other and say, well, I'm spiritually mature. Why aren't you? Because all of us still have a ways to go, and we should continually acknowledge it, but we also should allow the Holy Spirit to remind us where we came from and how far he's brought us, okay? Second thing self-control will cause me to do, to help others become spiritually mature. I will be compelled by the Holy Spirit to help others. Let's look at a picture. And also in Titus, just a, just a few paragraphs later, Paul's still writing the same pastor. He said, but as for you, Titus, teach what accords, uh, uh, lines up with sound doctrine, sound teaching. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And he goes on to give kind of a hierarchy. The older men are to do this. The older women are to do this. The younger ones this. The younger ones that. And he, he speaks how they're to live and he speaks about being self-controlled. And here's what the picture is in, in the New Testament church. Is the older is to help the younger become spiritually more mature. And older doesn't just mean chronologically. Because someone who is younger chronologically can be older in the faith. Older in obedience. Older in maturity than another person. And we are Wherever we are on that climb, we are continually to be helping, reaching, and helping others to come along, to come along, come along. Not ever condescending, not ever looking down on anyone, but we're bringing everyone along on the journey with us. So self-control will cause you and will cause me to become continually becoming more mature and to help others do the very same thing. Now, being the word nerd that I am, I want to leave you with an expanded definition of self-control. Let me just read you the paragraph I wrote. You fill in the blanks. It is this. Self-control is when I intentionally choose to make every decision under the control of the Holy Spirit. After years of doing this, I come to the place that yielding to the control of the Holy Spirit is the normal pattern of behavior for me. At this point, it seems like, especially to someone just watching, it may seem like I am in control. But 
in reality, it is just a new, more mature level of Holy Spirit control. That is what the Holy Spirit wants to do, is capable of doing, is waiting to do in you and in me.